Good morning. My name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bellmead. And I just want to add my welcome and say we're so glad you're here to worship with us. If you're in person, I would love to meet you on your way out in the narthex. And if you're online, we say hello to you again. You are a part of the Bellmead family, and we're so glad that you're here. As Gracie said, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, this season in which we are waiting and watching and longing for Christ to be born into our world yet again. Throughout this season of Advent, we've been telling the stories of the faithful who helped to usher Jesus into the world. We've been doing this through the lens of peace. Peace on Earth has been our sermon series. And so we've been talking about how in the midst of this busy season, we can cultivate this space inside of us, this grounded center where Christ dwells. And we can access that peace even in the midst of chaos. We've talked about how we as Christ followers can be a non-anxious presence when those around us are fearful and fretful. We've said that this is the time not to amp up, but to slow down and savor and encounter Christ. And I have good news for you today. If that's been hard for you in this season, it's only December 18th. So you have time to press the pause button and to focus on what truly matters. We began our Advent stories with Zachariah and Elizabeth an old righteous couple who were blessed with the gift of a son in their old age. That son was John the Baptist and the prophecy foretold that he would be a joy and delight, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit and he would prepare the way for Jesus to come. Sometimes we call him a forerunner. So part of John's message then and the message for us now was this, prepare your hearts for Christ, make straight paths for him. And that preparation was all about the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we said that part of what we're doing to prepare for Jesus, to make room for him in our hearts, is course correcting. Not just giving lip service to our sin, but actually living differently, trying to be transformed, trying to exhibit different behaviors. And those actions can bring peace within us, peace with God, and peace with other people. Today, we're looking at the story of Mary. And if you look in Luke chapter one, you see that it's actually couched in between the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth and John's birth. And so it begins in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, all of those descriptors are important because the author is telling us something. This is the long-awaited king, this king of David, this descendant who has come to save us. And it also clues us in that Mary is from this insignificant town in an unimportant Roman empire, and that is who God chooses to use. 
Now, the way that this scene unfolds would have reminded readers of the Old Testament birth annunciations. These are announcements. There was a pattern that they followed, a five-fold pattern. So we see that as we look at our text today. The first was that the angel appears with a greeting. The angel says to Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Number two, this always happens next. There's a response of fear. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So third, the angel gives the divine message. The angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and he will be called the son of the most high. Fourth, The person always has some skepticism. They object, they ask a question. Mary says, how will this be because I am a virgin? And so fifth, the angel comes in with a sign, with a guarantee of this divine announcement. He says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And listen, even Elizabeth, Your relative who was old and called barren and unable to conceive will give birth for no word from God will ever fail. Some translations say for nothing is impossible with God. If you look closely, you see that these annunciations happen to everyone in the Advent story. Zachariah, while he was in that tall, narrow, quiet room doing his priestly duties. Joseph, while he was dreaming. Mary, while she was in her home. The shepherds, as they were out in the fields, tending their flocks. And every single time the angel says, do not be afraid. But this, of course, is not the first place that we encounter people being afraid of what God has announced to them. If you start all the way back at the beginning of scripture, you see Adam and Eve are what? Naked and afraid. Jacob, afraid. Moses, afraid. Joshua, afraid. Almost everyone that God calls and uses faces fear. And here we see Mary's. I found it really interesting this week that commentators said that Mary could have been afraid because of a popular folktale that she would have known at the time. There's a book of of work of ancient writings called the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha holds some ancient texts that we don't have in our canon, in our Bible. And one of those texts is Tobit. And in Tobit, there's a story of a jealous angel who appears on a bride's wedding night every time she's married and takes the life of her groom. And so Mary could have been thinking that this was not a divine messenger, but an evil spirit that had come to disrupt her marriage. Now, we don't know if that was true for Mary, but we do know that this was a big thing to ask of her. She was a teenager, and though not married in the way that we understand it, she was betrothed. And back then, this marriage would have been arranged by her father. She would have lived at home for that year of betrothal. Then Joseph would come to take her home, and the wedding celebrations would last for a week. No wonder the wine ran out in Cana. (laughs) 
Legally, Mary and Joseph would have been married after that engagement was sealed. So you can imagine with that in mind what Mary's fears would have been like. What would Joseph think of her condition? What disgrace would she bring to her family? What rejection and scorn would she face from society? Not to mention that pregnancy and birth alone carry a host of fears and worries. So part of what we see in the very beginning is that when God asks us to do something, a natural response is fear. It is okay to be afraid. Now, if you go back and you look at all these stories and you look here in the Advent stories, here's a, a kind of list of how God responds to this fear. God says, do not be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. Stand firm. Why? Because I have a plan. This is a part of the redemption. This is salvation and you're a piece of it. And so Mary follows through with faith, even though she was afraid. She trusted that she was a part of God's redemptive plan. Now, it isn't always easy to live like God is with us, even if we believe that. Even if we believe it, that does not shield us from experiencing pain when or if our fears become a reality. I've been thinking about all the fear that we place, maybe internally and externally in our culture, right? We fear failure. We fear letting people down. We fear we aren't doing enough. We fear that at our core, we are not enough. We fear what we cannot understand. We fear what we cannot control. We fear people who don't look or think or like or dress or talk like us. We fear being alone. We fear making the wrong decisions. And I don't know, I think this is a big one. We fear something bad will happen to us or our loved ones and we don't know how we'll survive it. A few years ago, I was driving home to Alabama, to Birmingham, and uh, my son Lewis at the time was two years old, so he's sitting in the back seat. At this time in his life, he liked us to like hold his hand, so I was doing this weird like reach behind, holding his hand, driving the car, <laughs> and I was listening to a podcast in my earbuds. The podcast was from Brene Brown. Some of you have heard of her or heard me talk about her. She's a researcher who studies things like shame and vulnerability and resiliency. And she began to talk about what it's like to live with this fear that something bad is gonna happen, like that other shoe is gonna drop. And she framed it this way. She said, we dress rehearse tragedy. We dress rehearse tragedy. And I remember like gasping and hitting the wheel with my hand and yelling like, yes, she's right. I had not thought about it that way. But all of us, we play out scenes in our minds. We have this anticipatory grief as we imagine the worst. Sometimes we even feel the emotions of what it would be like if that dress rehearsal became a reality. 
So as I continued to listen to her, to her, she gave us this example in her life of dress rehearsing tragedy. I think because she, she thinks some of us can relate to it. She talked about that moment at night of looking down at your child while they're sleeping and knowing that they're completely at rest, puts you at peace, seeing them safe makes you feel okay. And you have that joy that fills your heart because you can't believe that this person is in your life. But then suddenly, your mind begins to shift and you become full of fear, thinking about what you're gonna do when or if you lose them. And maybe for you that isn't your child, but that's your spouse after all these years that you've been married or it's your adult child who is sick, or it's your dad who's starting to fail in health. But she says the problem with living in that rehearsal is that fear begins to own us. Fear steals the joy that we're experiencing in the moment. It robs our peace. Fear turns us to people who constantly worry, and that worry doesn't change the outcome. We aren't any less shielded from tragedy when it happens because we spent our time worrying about it. In my own words, I'd put it this way. If we have loved anyone, we know that love and fear are two sides of the same coin. And what we're trying to do is live love side up refusing to let that fear slip in and still the profound goodness and joy and love that we have in front of us. You know, maybe it isn't tragedy that you dress rehearse. Maybe it's all the ways that you might fail if you try to do what you're afraid of, if you try to do what God has led you to do. And I'm not saying that all fear is fruitless Fear stops us and makes us think before we find ourselves in danger. Sometimes fear ignites a fire in us to fight for justice or equity or equality. I'm talking about the fear that puts you in a standstill, the fear that prevents you from being who God has called you to be, the fear that makes other people your enemy instead of your neighbor. How do we live in a place of peace? instead of a place of fear. And today I think Mary is a part of the key. Like Mary, we follow through with faith even if we're afraid. We learn how to continually cast our fears onto God, to believe what God says, that God is with us, working for redemption and salvation, ours and the whole world's. We believe that somehow, some way, all manner of things shall be well. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is stepping out in spite of it. Faith is choosing to live love side up, even if we're trembling. Faith is trusting that God will see us through because God has done it before. God is not afraid and God does not fail. 
Several months ago here at the church on a Wednesday night, we had dinner and we had a program and we invited a child psychologist to come and talk to us about uh, fears and anxieties that children face. Her name is Susan Hahn and she's actually the wife of our business administrator, Michael DeWeese. Now my biggest takeaway from that night as I was listening to Susan was that when children are afraid, one strategy we can use to help them face their fear is to give them evidence of how they've overcome it before. So I thought about, in my context, my son Lewis, who's now four and a half, and the fears that he faces at bedtime. He stalls like your children do by asking a million questions and saying, I need water, my pajamas are too hot, (laughs) turn the fan on. Um, He really gets his pastor mom when he's like, can't we just read a few more Bible stories? (laughs) But when he finally lays his head on the pillow and it's come to that really quiet time, some nights he starts to cry. And he says, mommy, why do we have to sleep in our own beds? Mommy, I'm scared to sleep by myself. So with Susan's advice, I started to tell him, look, buddy, it's okay to be afraid, but sometimes we can still do something even if we're scared. And I tell him, look, you said that you were scared last night, but guess what? You slept in your bed all night, you woke up and you were okay. And I know it's hard to be alone but mommy and daddy are always close by. Now, honestly, I'm not sure if that's what's been working or the bribe of staying in your bed for four nights means ice cream on the fifth day. (laughs) But here in our story, it is evidence of God's work that pushes Mary through her fear. Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel gives her the answer, the mechanics, and then says, look, but here's more evidence. Even Elizabeth, your relative who was barren is going to conceive. Why? Because no word from God will ever fail. So church, if you're scared, you can look at the evidence in your life and see how God has brought you through, how you survived the night, how God was close by, or you can look at the lives of others and see the evidence of God at work. We have to believe that if God gives us a word, God is gonna give us a way. So Mary says, yes. Yes, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. And she runs to tell Elizabeth the news. And this is one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. John leaps inside of Mary's womb at this news. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit because of this annunciation. By the way, I've been telling you to to listen and, and look for the things in Advent that you haven't heard before. This year, I saw it. Every single person in this story is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Mary breaks out in a song. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God our Savior. And this is the last line. 
He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary goes back to the evidence of the beginning. She sees the fulfillment of the promise. She sees God at work in the whole story, and she recognizes the role that she plays within it. So church, there is so much to say to you about fear today. Do not let it steal your joy or rob your peace. Do not live in fear, live in love. And like Mary, follow through with faith on what God is asking you to do because it leads to something bigger than you. It leads to rejoicing, to being filled with the Holy Spirit, to participating in the divine plan of God to redeem and deliver the whole world. So even if you are afraid, God is not, and God's word does not fail. Thanks be to God. Amen.